0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clear Motive Marketing. Full transparency, folks. I am one of the co-founders of Clear Motive Marketing. I have had the privilege and the amazing opportunity to be involved with my current business partner, Chad Croker, since 2010. And it has been a fantastic ride and just an amazing, amazing journey. But I'm coming here today not as a co-founder, but as a client. Over a year ago, I brought the idea of the podcast to the team, presented the challenges, presented the opportunity, presented why I was excited about it, and they worked with me to create a plan. We built the strategy, we built the brand, we built the website and they helped me execute and they helped me execute day in and day out as we are constantly going live with, with new, new episodes. They also were a huge help in building the audience, which can be the most challenging things, whether you're a company, with a product or a service, or just a new idea that you need to get out there. So we've grown organically from over 200 downloads last December to over 2000 this December, which is an all-time record for the show. Something we're really proud of and I couldn't have done it without the Clear Motive team backing me at every step of the way. They specialize in helping brands that operate in fast-paced, highly competitive industries, which, let's be honest, is is everyone these days, to deliver more consistently and more effectively day in and day out, something that we all know can be an incredible challenge in marketing with the pace of the always-on mindset. With offices and teams in both Calgary and Toronto, they work to make clients better marketers. So if you need a new website, a new brand, or simply a new efficient way to produce and deliver and get your Get your creative in market and get connected with your customers. Give us a call and let's have a good old-fashioned chat. Check out our work and our case studies at www.clearmotive.ca. A warm collisions, YYC. Welcome to Miss Carrie Houston. How are you, Carrie?
1: I'm doing great, Tyler.
0: How are you? I am really good. It's uh, that beautiful time of year in Calgary. when it looks, like, it is spring, and it looks like spring, but it's kind of chilly out today, so it's just putting me in a good mood. And now, now I'm, I checked my Canadian box. I talked about the weather in the first thirty seconds of the phone call, mm-hmm. but aside from that, I am doing well and honored and privileged as I as I always am to talk with people like yourself who are out there in the mix with the change that's going on in Calgary. So let's start. Let's just set the stage. You are the founder and CEO of Three Two One Growth Academy. So for anyone who hasn't had the privilege or the opportunity, let's give a little elevator pitch on who you guys are and what you're all about.
1: For sure. So at, at 321, we're really in the business of helping founders and their team members learn the skills that they need to be able to grow and scale their companies. So we teach them how to do sales, we teach them how to do the kind of marketing that leads to growth, and we help them to kind of think through how to build and manage their teams.
0: I love that you said the kind of marketing that leads to growth, and we're gonna—I'm going to put a pin in that one because there's because there's marketing is one of those words. It can mean everything and be nothing. So, kind of marketing. How long have you guys been around? This feels like this is a purpose. This feels like a purpose-built business for the current for the world we're in in Calgary right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, we started in 2017. Um, and how, you know, it started as a little side project, you know, a little side hustle for me. As they do, as they do. As they do. And it's, it's kind of taken over. So, uh, as you know, it's been about four and a half years now and is very much a a full-time thing now for us.
0: And what's kind of, who are you working with? Like really early stage, like let's give a profile, like who's your, who's typically sitting around the table in your classroom, either virtually or physically, depending on the situation.
1: Yeah, there's a bit of a range. I mean, we definitely lean towards, um, uh, tech startups and scale-ups. So usually folks that are you know, in market, they have a product, they, they think they have product market fit, they might be wrong, but they think they have it. Uh, they've probably got some early revenue or early customers um, and are just really starting to look forward to growing and scaling the company, but perhaps realizing either they've got some challenges and aren't really quite sure how to get there. Maybe they're seeing some friction. It's not working quite as well as they thought. Or they're doing this for the first time, and they're not really sure, you know, what a, a growth roadmap would look like and and how to get there.
0: I Appreciate that. If, uh, that. That that could be a consulting business or an education like that. You could fit a couple different things into that into that profile. How's it changed since when you first started? Like, I'm just curious of who was coming in the door in 2017 versus who's coming in the door now. Who are, who are those individuals?
1: It's it's you know it's an interesting question, Tyler, because you know I think when I started the business. You know, I either got the reaction where people thought that's a great idea, or they thought that's a great idea, but I think you're going to be finished in 12 months. And so, the interesting thing uh, that we've seen at 321 is there's so much growth in the in the sector. We're seeing so many more startups, you know, get started. We're seeing more of them survive and thrive. We're seeing scale ups realizing they've got some talent gaps. And so, for us, you know, I, I think the biggest Uh, change over the last four and a half years is the realization that the market is actually a whole lot bigger than what we thought, which is a great, uh, a great thing for us.
0: And from a, from a client base, do people come from, like, are you fairly Calgary-centric? Is it Alberta? Is it, do people come from outside looking for your services, or do you really cater to that Western Canadian, you know, Calgary, Alberta audience?
1: We definitely started in Calgary. It's, you know, it's my, my adopted hometown, uh, but I'm originally from Edmonton, so I was really keen to, to get back up there. Uh, so we've done a lot of work in Edmonton, and we're now starting to find founders finding us from outside and, and kind of beginning some partnerships with organizations, you know, incubators, accelerators, economic development agencies outside of Alberta. So that's we're kind of relatively new and expanding outside of our uh, our home market. But that's want Well, I we think when you talk
0: about the startup ecosystem in general, I think the whole thing is relatively new when you think about you know, the last five years in Alberta and necessity of the mother of all invention. And we all know what happened five, six years ago, fundamental shift in our main, the main horse we all have had in the race forever. And you know, don't worry, the horse will get back up again. And it hasn't. And, in, and I want to be very careful when I say this. I'm kind of glad it didn't jump up right away again, because I think it spurred a lot more of this change that if you look back, there's, there's you know, campaigns from the 80s that talked about diversification. It's not a, it's not a new idea it just seems like we're embracing it now maybe at a level that's different, which again, completely ties into opportunities like what you, what you created, which maybe six or seven years ago wouldn't have got the same traction.
1: Yeah. I think it's healthy. You know, I think it's an exciting evolution for our province and, and is, is likely long overdue. I mean, for me that uh, I, I th- I don't know if I put it out on my Twitter, but it was definitely on my social feed that it was quite a day when both Solium uh, and, sh- and I think ShareWorks and, and potentially even Cement were all on the front page of the Calgary Herald in one day. And to me, that really was a sign of how far we have come as a city, how far we have come as an industry, but also how far tech has made inroads into the general, you know, kind of the, you know, the general community. People, people understand that we have a tech industry here already. It just might be not one that they'd heard of before.
0: I've heard that from a lot of people when they talk about like the oil and gas sector really laid the groundwork for a lot of tech innovation that was happening, aka behind the scenes. And you're like, oh, it wasn't an innovative sector. And a lot of people take I know in the, in that space they go, well, I resent that because actually it was incredibly innovative, just not in that the, the way we see a tech we think about tech startups because it was some of the largest players out there that all had these, you know, incubators internally and you know the entrepreneurship programs and things like that. They just they never made it onto the headlines to your to your point. And if we don't see it. As As humans, we have a quick, you know, it's easy to believe it doesn't exist. (laughs) Absolutely. I had, um, I don't know, do you know uh, Nicholas Beek from Helsum?
1: Yeah, we have met.
0: Interesting character, and I asked him a question. I had him on the show, and I asked him. I said, "You know, w- when will you know we're on the right track?" And he's like, "When oil and gas headlines are on the second page, and some of these new innovative <laughs> startups are on the first page. So you just you just checked his KPI box by what you just said." Just Making some I'm going to send up this episode. Nick. I'm like, listen, at four minutes in, Nick, and you're going to hear that we met your one K- We met your KPI of, of when we know Calgary's going down down the right road. So clearly, the talent gap. We're going to get into the whole branding and marketing thing, but I'm just so curious because you have a cool perspective because you get to deal with and see and ev- experience all of these individuals and all their different ideas. Uh, Talent gap. You and I were talking offline of like, you know, you guys exist for a reason. And uh, there isn't many people I have on the show that doesn't talk somehow in some capacity about, you know, wow, okay, we're able to get those maybe junior people, but now to get someone with 10 years experience is hard. And how do we attract them to this market? So when you see people come into your program, are these people that are coming from all walks of life? Like, are these, because you think about talent gap, you think like, okay, what does that mean? We've got a city full of Seasoned, experienced, highly technical individuals that maybe don't have certain skills in certain areas because they've worked in the resource sector, whatever mm-hmm. it might be. How is that journey for them to retool for this new, more agile, you know, completely different, but yet they're bringing skills to the table. They just not, it might be the exact skills they need to run this new business.
1: Yeah. You know, if, let, let me give you an analogy. If If I was an accountant and I had worked for a SaaS software company my whole life and I went to go... Uh, apply to, you know, an energy company to be a joint venture accountant. I know accounting, you know, I have my designation. I went to school and studied that, but I don't actually have that, um, you know, the application knowledge, you know, the situational fluency. How does it, how does accounting, you know, work differently in this environment? And so it's not that people don't know marketing or people don't know how to sell in this market. It's, you know, A, they don't have the, 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 um, the, the knowledge of how those practices might be a little bit different in technology where often you're selling an intangible, you're selling in a, you know, in a different, you know, in a different milieu. I think the, the other side of it is the same way that God forbid, nobody would want to hire me in a big company. You know, a lot of big company cultures are very, you know, conforming, um, conforming cultures. So, you know, do do this thing
0: and sit in this, it's the small cog in the, in the, in the the big complex machine, right? You
1: swim in your lane, you swim (laughs) in your lane, stay in your lane. And so, you know, I think one of the things that a lot of early stage companies really value are employees that, you know, are, you know, highly conscientious, but are also natural silo busters. They naturally Mm -hmm. think about solving problems across the organization. They're naturally collaborative. They naturally take a lot of initiative, um, often we don't have, you know, we we have role portfolios. We don't have a job description. You know, I might be tackling marketing and sales and also have to sweep up the floor. And so the many
0: the many hats analogy that we've all as entrepreneurs like our desk isn't big enough for all the hats that we have to hang on.
1: Right. And so I think I think again, I think culturally you know i think a lot of folks that are in have have spent a number of years in a more traditional industry might really welcome that experience but they might have to be invited in in a different way because it's not it's not what's been you know their norm
0: Mm -hmm. No, understandable. And so much of that is the soft side of what you just talked about, of resilience, adaptability, like intense curiosity, a willingness to bust out of your like, "Hmm," well, you know, in in, in a world of being an entrepreneur or a startup, if you stay in your lane, you'll probably, you you probably won't survive because that lane might run out (laughs) if you stay in it and you stay in it too long. So in your, to be, to be clear with at three, at three, two, one, you're dealing, not necessarily people that are looking to reskill and retool to go into different jobs, but it's more, or maybe, sorry, I'm I'm making my own assumptions here. thinking about that startup founder, but you're also, I'm assuming, working with people that are going to go work at those small startup companies as well. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, we, we work with founders and the members of their current team, but you can definitely stay tuned for more on reskilling and upskilling coming to the airwaves near you soon
0: oh that was an interesting that was not a, that was not a plant everyone that happened very <laughs> organically <laughs> very good content when it just shows up so new things on the horizon but I because it just it literally comes up with everyone I talk to is like how do we set ourselves up for success and if you've got a company that's got some rapid growth and they can't they can't get the team members they need. Well, obviously that's gonna, that's gonna either force them to potentially leave or look to other markets. And how has some of the work remote and some of the highly you know, now work from anywhere mindset? Have you seen that as a shift or an impact that now maybe companies here have more options or is it on the reverse that companies other places can now come here for our talent as well without actually having them to move?
1: I think it's both. You know? I, mm-hmm. think the, I think the winners will be the companies that understand uh, you, know, if it, you know, that they're able to build kind of that engine of growth in their companies so that they understand the kind of skills and talent that they need. And they do a really good job of establishing their own brand in the market. So kind of leaning on the brand conversation a bit. You know, employer branding is something that we, uh, many companies really haven't had to worry about. But it, when the talent is tight, um, you know how you are perceived in the market. How you know am I going to be really proud to come home and say I got a job at ABC Co. to my friends and family? I think that's that's going to matter. And so companies that are good at marketing not just their products but themselves, uh, I think will will fare really well.
0: No, I think that's interesting. As we pivot into the, the marketing and brand conversation, that employer branding, and it's so interesting. Companies focus on it. There's so many interesting stats around, like the cost of recruitment goes down, retention goes up. There's so many of those, like the numbers that back that up. But you know, we go in this feast and famine, like it's either an employer market or an employee market, and where you hit that balance, and the balance point seems to swing right through. Like it always seems like a pendulum. Kind of feels like the housing market sometimes. It's either favoring one group or or it's favoring the other. So when you work with, you mentioned you know the kind of marketing that drives growth, I'm assuming that employer brand is an aspect that that you start educating, getting them to think about when it's probably the last thing on their mind when they're in startup mode?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's it's cumulative, right? Like, you know, 321 is doing well today, not because we had a great 2021 Q1. It's doing well because of the cumulative investments that we've made over the last four and a half years. And so I think, you know, for companies to realize that, you know, often good marketing uh, is not just about conversion. That there's some seed planting that we have to do. We've, you know, we've got to make those investments to build our brand, to build our awareness, to build our credibility in the market, to establish, you know, um, our positioning, so that we make it easy for, to, you know, easy for our customers to to buy from us. And that doesn't happen necessarily overnight.
0: I love that It'd be easy to buy from. And my business partner always says, like people are going to tell your story make it easy for them put something on their lips put the words make it easy for them to retell that story because that's your best those are your best advocates out there but if they are feeling uncomfortable don't understand how to talk about you well they just won't or they'll say you know that, that's probably the, the best case scenario is they don't <laughs> the worst case is they tell something that actually isn't correct so I'm curious and I'm, I'm, I'm going from my own, my, my own uh, shelf of things that I've experienced when you're working with a company that's you know at that point where they're, they're, they're struggling to get pro- their product market fit they're trying to meet their objectives from a cash flow perspective, it's really easy, in my experience, for marketing to get pushed to the back seat because it comes all about sales. And if it's a technically oriented product, which there's a lot of those, especially driven in this in this town with very highly technically skilled individuals, the marketing gets like designated to the fluff bin. And like, well, yeah, that's just words. You know, this is about we. You know, we need this. 10-page PowerPoint with 8-point font on every slide, and we're, that's what people care about. And marketing tends to slip. So when you, how much of it for you is actually an education process of even helping people understand, or how do you go about showing the value of marketing?
1: It's interesting. I was, I was speaking with a group this morning, actually, and I, I talked to them a little bit about, because we had exactly this conversation with one of the participants where they said, we don't really need marketing. And I said, first of all, marketing is sales. <laughs> and, and second of all, um, you know, you you really want to design your prospect experience, and so for some organizations, it will be very sales driven, where marketing is there to make sales more efficient, more effective. Um, in other organizations, the growth model will lean pretty heavily on marketing for lead generation, and and in fact, you know, even conversion. So part of it is, I think, understanding your business model and what is the balance, the relative balance between sales and marketing? Like to me, they're they're just different sides of the same growth coin. They're the same. They're both designed to um, you know engage an audience and and convince that audience to do what you want them to do. So whether you're a politician or you're a tech entrepreneur, it's the same thing. How do I how do I attract the right audience to me and get them to do what I would like them to do? and their sales and marketing are just different tools in the toolbox, but they're so complementary, it's a bit of a shame when they're not used well together.
0: Uh, and I find they, they make, they are bedfellows. They literally are together, but you're right. It's about influence with a desired outcome. And that's where, you know, marketing is almost the influence and sales is the outcome, but it's not even that cut and dried. Well, here, I'm going to, th- I'm going to throw a third, the third asteroid into, into, to blow up those two. What about the word brand? And where does that, where does that come into the mix? Cause that's talk about a, a marketing gets misdiagnosed. Talk about brand. as a well, that's my logo. I have a brand. Like it means so many things to so many different people. What does it mean in the startup world? And like kind of what obstacles do you see around that for them?
1: I think, I think brand varies, right? Like m- most of my background is enterprise B2B software. And so can I have a pretty average logo that's not very standout and still crush my numbers? Absolutely. But that's not what brand is. So to me, brand is, it's the change that you want to make in the world. It's who you are. It's your values. It's why you're going to win. It's the embodiment of your strategy. And and your logo is an outcome of the brand. Your brand is not the logo. And so I think kind of getting people to understand that and, and the example that I often give is if I wanted 321 to be, you know, a small little side hustle, it would have stayed a small little side hustle. But if I wanted it to have much bigger social and economic impact, that is part of the brand. So the choices that we make on our strategy, the choices that we make on our sales and marketing reflect the reflect that. So your brand, in, in some ways, if, if you think of it more holistically, it, it, it can be uh, you know, very closely tied to your North Star, like what you're trying to accomplish.
0: When you've got a company that is struggling with back to the product, like we think we've got the right product, we think we've got the fit. I also hear a lot of times, like I don't really have time for that. I'm so busy working on that. I guess when you know, in your experience, when you're taking them through this process, is it is it helping helping clients understand how they intertwine together that it is part and parcel? Because oftentimes it's like I'll do that later, and I've run into that conversation frequently because that feels it doesn't feel as important in the moment. And what I'm hearing for you talk is that it is, and I agree, it's so much more intrinsically tied to why you even started to. do this in the first place, but I find that can, usually, that can so easily get pushed aside.
1: For those of you that listening that have been uh, in any room that I've been in, you've probably heard me say, you pay or you pay. <laughs> so you can choose to not do validation upfront and you could go pay, make a big investment in building a great product. And then when you're finished and you're not clear on who's going to buy it, you're going to pay. You're going to make that investment then. So to me, it's not—it's not, it's not like there's some shortcut where I don't have to do the hard work of figuring out if my idea is actually a viable business. Your real choice is just when you're choosing to make that investment. You can make it upfront, and yes, it will seem like it's slower and it will seem like it's holding you back. But you know what? It's going to be slow and hold you back no matter when you do it. You're just really deciding when <laughs> so- you do it, and it's just—it's it—you de-risk your venture pretty substantially. If you do at least a moderate job, a good job, it doesn't have to be an excellent job, but if you do a good job of that up front, you just massively de-risk your investments.
0: I think we just stop right there, Carrie, and just like that's your mic drop moment. I was like, <laughs> I, I'm going to play that in meetings going forward. I'm like, wait a second, my friend Carrie has something I'd like to interject into this meeting because you're absolutely. It's like it's like project planning. Like you can plan up front, or you can plan later when it's derailed and it's a mess and it's smoldering on the side of the road. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and from your experience. Uh, you know, obviously, you're from Alberta, and in your career, and looked at your creeped on your LinkedIn a little bit. You, you you've had lots of diverse experiences. Where do you think you know? Do you have a point of view in terms of ways, where we sit in Western Canada in terms of just sophistication? And this doesn't feel it never has felt to me. And I've had a lot, and there's a lot of good marketers here, so I want to be very careful with this. I'm gonna get some hate mail, but that's okay. That means they were listening. Uh, that this is not necessarily a marketing first town. That in the way that we've navigated with you know large industry and you know the resource sector, marketing wasn't really a very you know, highly used tool in the toolbox for a lot of companies. They just did business and made deals and new people and that's how it went. But it feels like, and I've had a lot of people on the show, even at a higher level say, you know what, I think Alberta has a bit of a marketing and a brand problem when you talk about the message we've put out there to the rest of the world. So curious your point of view, and obviously this this is your POV, of kind of where do we sit in that cycle where, you know, other cities are, are we challenged? Are we a little bit back on our heels? Or do you see that, no, that's not the case?
1: You know, It's interesting. So when people say, you know, I need a marketer, I always say, well, what kind of marketer? You know, so I don't think it's so much like Alberta doesn't have great marketers. I think we have different kinds of marketers than perhaps what tech needs. So I think, you know, I call them like, you know, T2P marketers, like downtown big office tower, big company marketers. They often are charged with a lot of work around investor relations. Yep. They do a lot of work in the media, public relations. They might do a lot of work around employee and internal communications. Well, those typically are not huge priorities for smaller, high-growth tech companies. I mean, Those invest- are
0: all, arguably more almost comms. Those are comms roles rather yeah, than actually marketing. Right. If you really start to break down. And for anyone not in our, in our world, all the titles are confusing. So I empathize with anyone who's looking in from the outside going, well, what do you do?
1: <laughs> yeah. But I think, and, 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 and it's, it's exacerbated by the fact that we, I mean, I went to the U of A. I you know, took a lot of marketing courses at, at the U of A, but we are steeped in the mindset of a resource-driven economy. So if, if, I, you know, if, if I go work for an oil company, I don't have to worry about how I differentiate my product. I don't have to worry about how I price my product. I don't have to worry so much about why somebody would buy my oil from me instead of you know, from, from one, of my comp, you know, one of my competitors. And so the marketing is different. And I think in a, in a tech company, it's those differences that really matter. We have to generate interest. We have to be, make the market aware of who we are. We have to make them want what we have. We have to understand how to price it in the context of the value that we deliver. And in, in a resource driven economy, all of those things are already defined. And so marketers just have to exercise different muscles to do their job well. So it's not so much that I think we don't have marketing in Alberta. I think we just ha- we've had it traditionally a different flavor of marketing. And, and you know, as we've talked about Tyler before, there's, there's a lot of transferable skills and a lot of transferable knowledge and, and opportunity in tech for people that, that have been in marketing for, in traditional companies. But there is this nuance and, and the nuance matters.
0: Yeah. Yes, yes. It, it, in, in all forms of your marketing and your message, you write the words, you know, as my creative director used to say, like, get hung up on the words because they matter. It's the, it's, it's the what's in between. So in terms of the education, the people that come in, you're giving them that gift of understanding the role that marketing can play. And probably I would imagine the first initial phases are just helping them redefine what it actually, like actually giving it a, a meaning or putting it in the right context
1: yeah it's it's redefining what marketing is and and helping people to understand that, yes, the website is a marketing to do, but it's also where does the where does the website sit in the buyer journey how does how is the buyer influenced by what's on the website and how does marketing influence the buyer behavior as a consequence of how they design that that experience? I think it's just a it's just a different way of solving the problem so in our growth marketing course, often because we're either getting a founder that wants to understand how marketing can contribute to their growth so that they, not necessarily they're gonna be in charge of running all their Facebook ads, but so that they understand the kind of marketing that they will need to do to be successful. The kind of marketing team, what kind of skills did they need on their bench to be able to win? And how can they better manage and support that team so that they can execute well? In other cases, it's it's a more traditional marketer coming in and trying to understand, kind of rethink how to transform the the impact of marketing in the organization from being, you know, creating the PowerPoint for sales to actually, you know, deeply understanding the buyer journey and understanding how they can develop great content that influences and accelerates that buying decision.
0: It's so critical. I think you're right, and I, I see a lot of marketers get set up not for success when they get brought in and they're charged with something that they don't have necessarily enough influence on. Like go out and sell the thing, but you have no influence on whether it's even the right thing for the right customer. Back to the product market fit, and and I think I read an article years ago, it was a couple of years, the Harvard Business Review about like why the CMO has the shortest tenure in the C-suite, and they just talked about the different areas of like you're rather, you know, you're the CMO who's brought in to do a campaign or build a website, or you're a CMO that's brought in to go, hey, we don't even know what the fit is or what our customer cares about, go do that. You know, how close and far you are from the PL makes a big difference of what your success is going to be and how much you can influence the product. It's interesting because it gets very, and I see a lot of marketers maybe in Western Canada get brought in at the execution level and they don't get necessarily that influence kind of up the chain of events. And it, it sets everybody up for lack of success.
1: <laughs> well, and, and that's why in our courses, you know, we really encourage founders to attend with their teams, because we don't start with, here's how you run a great campaign. We start with, what's the problem that you're solving? And who are you solving it for? And what value does that create? And what does that apply for how you price? What does that imply for how you message? What does that imply for how you engage the market? And so you know if if you're hiring a marketing intern it's not very likely that they're going to come away being able to answer those questions on their own marketing is by like many like many functions in the business by nature is strategic and is collaborative and so good marketers are you know are those silo busters that can kind of work across the team and get that alignment so that they are able to be successful as they execute whether it's a website or a Facebook ad campaign or whatever
0: I think you pick such a great example with a website. Like a website is never a website build. It's a full deep dive on what you sell, how you talk about it, the service, the way you present, the look. Like it forces every stone to be unturned and sometimes it gets minimized of like, oh, it's a checkbox item. Oh, we just need to do a website. But yet everything about your business and how someone sees it, experiences it, back to your point, like a brand isn't your logo. It's actually the experience you provide. That's the brand. And the website is such a part of that. And I see so often it gets relegated to somebody's checkbox. And it's a junior person who then doesn't get support to actually answer the questions. And then day before launch, everyone chimes in and hates it and says it's the worst thing ever. And that poor individual is left in the corner holding this website that they were never set up to success. That's a dramatic version. But I think, unfortunately, we've we've all witnessed it before where it's happened that way
1: and it's interesting because I always say it you know I'm a pretty good writer I know how to write I know how to write some copy if you're on version 7 it's not the writing it's because you're not aligned (laughs) well said well yeah absolutely. and so so when when you see this kind of churn and churn and churn of activity in marketing where there's a lot of activity but nothing quite works and nobody likes it and you can't get a sign off that's a sign You know, when we talk about you pay or you pay, that's a sign, you know, you need to just pause for a moment and get, you know, kind of get your ducks in a row, figure out your strategy, figure, you know, we call them the growth fundamentals, get those growth fundamentals solidified, and then you can execute quickly because you've got those key questions answered. But you're going to answer them inside of every initiative. If you, if you think you don't have time to do it, you're just going to do that same effort inside of every single thing that you do, every press release, every, every tweet, every blog post.
0: I love that that kind of ma- almost metaphor of like you're iterating your strategy through your homepage copywriter like I'll, I'll just get them to write it again and they'll get it right like you're right it's actually becoming a strategic exercise but no one knows it or treats it like such right. but no one's happy because it's not landing it's not, it's not right Oh, that's such a good you're right when you're on version 7 there's a, there's a deeper problem you, but then the poor copywriter gets thrown under the bus for it right <laughs> every, every, well hey you're never long to blame the agency right but anyway sorry let me, let me get <laughs> off my agency soapbox on that one Hey, you and I touched a little bit on this before we recorded, we hit the record button about you know, if, if you and I were sitting around the, the branding and marketing table for Calgary, this amazing city that you and I are both you know invested in and kind of all, all in on. I, I definitely believe in our future. And people talk about this branding problem. People talk about, well, we're gonna be the new this or we're gonna be the version of that. Curious of your views when you hear that. You know, we're not Silicon Valley, we're not Lauderloo, but you hear those comparisons often. Thoughts on where we are in the journey and kind of where where do you see our brand kind of I feel like we're in the middle of a brand. And refresh right now
1: <laughs> right it does feel like that you know I, i'm an optimist and i believe in calgary i think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity here i think there are uh, but that doesn't mask the reality that a lot of calgarians and albertans are are facing really big disruptions to their livelihoods and their communities and so we you know we want to make sure that as we go through this transition that we have a lot of empathy for how it's affecting how it's affecting some of our compatriots here um but I, you know, I think whenever there is an opportunity to redefine ourselves, you know, I think timing matters. And in some ways, I think COVID, you know, I was, I was listening to something on the radio this morning and, and um, you know, the DJs were talking about how uh, COVID's had some silver linings. You know, and I thought, wow, that's that's a that's a bold statement. A lot of people wouldn't agree with that. But one of the things you have to things, be very
0: careful when you float that out there right now. Right?
1: <laughs> but it really got me thinking that one of the cool things that's happened with COVID is we've realized location doesn't matter quite so much. And so I actually think that plays into Calgary's favor very strongly. Now all of a sudden, if I'm a great salesperson and I choose to live by the mountains in a great city called Calgary and work for a great company in Toronto, I can make that choice because now we've covid has taught us that I don't really need to be in the office to be effective and and successful. And that the, and that, that Toronto company doesn't necessarily have to have um, uh, you know their talent pool limited by their geography. But the reverse is also true. And I think that's that's where there's a great opportunity for Calgary. Calgary is a great place to live. And relative, I mean I've lived in Toronto, relative to many other cities, It is actually pretty affordable. And so, all of a sudden, if we have a great quality of life and we have a great sense of community, and I can really work from Calgary for almost anyone I want, that's really attractive to a lot of people. And I think that that should, can and should play into how we rebrand. That it's not, we're not selling come and work in Calgary because we have the most, you know, second most head offices in Canada. Were, that, was I, the
0: old, that was the that old was value prop that used to float right? around, right? That yeah. was the old. Most yeah. amount of millionaires per capita, like all the ones I remember yeah. when I moved here that I heard, yeah.
1: And now it's about, this is an awesome place to live and raise a family. It's a great community. We have an amazing outdoor lifestyle. And so work where you want, but live where you want. I think that's the really great branding opportunity for, for our city.
0: I, still, I do think we're still a little bit of a best-kept secret. Like, I don't think that's... I have friends all over the place. And, you know, you... You, you kind of sell them on a little bit, but it's not there. I don't think that's the message that's on the tip of everyone's tongue. And I know I travel globally a lot. Sorry, I used to travel back in the good <laughs> old days. And like Calgary, people would like, it would literally be Banff or the, or the Stampede. Those were really the two things that you were known for, which, not, which are not bad things to be known for. But you know, that's the challenge when you think of some of these big cities that have these vibes and these energies, like the Toronto's, the Montreal's and New York's and Chicago's, and they all have their kind of intrinsic and we're not there yet but you're right how do we get that out there and when we're trying to attract businesses is there even the bandwidth and you know whose job is it is it travel whose job is it to attract that that quality of life play of this live anywhere And I've seen some cool campaigns in the Barbados I think is it Nova Scotia has got a big campaign going right now about 15,000 new residents by X because you can live anywhere come buy a house for 60 grand kind of thing and it's interesting some of the provinces or cities or or places in the world that have gone gone in all that I haven't seen anything like that coming out of Calgary yet or Alberta
1: Mm-hmm. yeah well it'll be interesting Ob- to opportunity
0: see. well there's a there's a campaign idea for whoever's, whoever's listening I, I, do agree <laughs> with you. I, I love it I it's the quality of life here is it is fantastic to live in a big city and still have the quality of life and it is a big small town I say that I say that all the time I think that is that is some of the some of the cachet that we do have mm-hmm. absolutely um, Future? Where where do you see it? Obviously, you're evolving and you're offering some more when it comes to the startup community. Obviously, you're looking for trends and looking for the types of things that they need the most. Uh, what what you know the last three years? What are some of the changes that you've seen or shifts? Is it just that there's more volume of the startup community, or are you seeing certain kind of areas or or disciplines emerge in in the the types of startups you're seeing? You have a unique perspective, so I want to pick your brain a little bit on what you're seeing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I worked in tech in Toronto, and when I moved back to Canada, Calgary. I I started a business uh, services company for a while. And then I was itchy to get back into tech. And I realized I didn't know anybody here. I'd spent most of my tech career in, you know, at at that time in Toronto. And I wasn't really sure how to plug in. And, you know, this would have been in like the mid 2000s. And, you know, you think over the last 15 years, there has been you know many many would argue that our ecosystem you know has huge flaws and huge gaps relative to Toronto and Waterloo and other big centers but if you compare i wrote a blog post on this recently if you compare where we are today versus 10 to 15 years ago the evolution of this community is astounding you know we now have organizations like the A100 that has well over 100 members. These are experienced technology executives. You know, 15 years ago, I don't know that you could have found them. Not that they weren't there, but that they were not as well connected to each other.
0: But it wasn't It wasn't organized into a body that could create impact. Yeah. A bunch of individuals don't have the same impact as a group with all a similar shared set of values, right? And,
1: and creating that visibility. You know, we didn't have a vibrant, thriving venture capital industry. And, you know, all the good work that Alberta Enterprise has done to kind of create that. I, You know, I worked there for a time and I'm a big fan of their work. And I think they've made a, a very, you know, demonstrable impact, you know. So much has changed. But having said that, we're still punching far below our weight. You know, organizations like... uh, Platform Calgary and Brad Zumwalt at at Zinc Ventures and the a one hundred have have done a really good job of evangelizing how we need to move a decimal place or two on the number of companies starting and and it's happening you know as 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 our citizens are leaving some of their their big jobs uh, in downtown and and you know starting to create new companies. but we need to we need to start you know at all at all levels of that funnel. We need to normalize entrepreneurship and starting companies as a career when kids are young. Because one of the downsides of having, you know, the this, this second most number of, uh, you know, downtown headquartered companies is that most most parents have jobs, not companies. And so, like, our, our kids, under, like, my husband and I are both entrepreneurs, so our kids are very... You know they've been hearing for their whole life about the opportunity to do your own thing, which is equally important and interesting as as having a great job working for somebody else. But there, but you know, I've volunteered with Junior Achievement. I've you know I've done lots of volunteering, and there's a lot of kids that just never get exposure to entrepreneurship. So you know, programs yeah. you know at at Haskane, the Hunter Hub at MRU, those are amazing things for kind of normalizing and evangelizing entrepreneurship as a as a legitimate path for employment I won't and get into wealth. age
0: or anything, but for, but for you and I, we don't need to have that discussion. But when I was a kid, if you said you wanted to be an entrepreneur, you almost got sent to like a counselor to kind of get you off the bad path. <laughs> it, was, it was not. I do love how it's become, you know, I talked to my 17 and 19 year old niece and nephew and like, well, I don't want to work at a big company. I want to do my own thing and I want to live the life I want to be and I want to be mobile and like, when you, when I was younger, that, that was the odd man or odd woman out yeah. that had that dream. Everyone was usually on some path to some preset, ordained, safe job. I say in air quotes that no one can see
1: online, yeah, but which it was, we've all it was realized there's no such to, thing. Right? It was equivalent to saying you wanted to be a rock star. It's like, awesome, but get an accounting degree just in case, right? And, and yes. now it's kind Being of Being an, like, an
0: entrepreneur wasn't a career path back to, you know, right.
1: you know yeah. isn't a strategy. <laughs> so so I think there's a real opportunity to kind of celebrate entrepreneurship, like you know, Five years ago, it would have been very challenging for a company like Benevity or Adibiotics or Cement or Solium or Absorb to be on the front page of the Calgary Herald where the whole community yeah. sees it. And now that's, that's happening. So how do we get these amazing success stories out there to the broader public? How do we... Well, how, that's
0: the you can be it, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. And how do, how do we create on-ramps so that people understand how they can break into tech where there might be interesting new opportunities that are interesting for them.
0: No, and I, I would say, like, like kudos and you know, fly the flag of, of Calgary, the last, even from starting this podcast, and you have to be careful of what's a trend versus just your own awareness increasing. I'm like, oh my God, it's a trend. I'm like, no, you're just talking to more people that are in the space. But it seems like even in the last year and a half, the, the acceptance, the, those stories, those front page stories have absolutely increased in the last 16 or 18 months. From before it was kind of an anomaly to you didn't even really notice it, to now it's, no, it's a, it's a thing. And, you know, and again, you, 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 you also, your brain works in a cool way. Once you start thinking about something, it's amazing how much more you see it but that is part of the process right it doesn't feel like an anomaly anymore it feels like oh yeah there's another success story in calgary there's another you know uh narwhal I, as, or you know i know uh, we have canadian version i've heard said before <laughs> i think uh i think it was um yeah scott from antibiotics he's like tyler it, it, it's a moose corn that's what we need we need moose <laughs> so, so i still i want to get one of my team to animate that someday and just send it to him because i think it's like uh, he's well on that path obviously with what they're doing over there mm-hmm. carrie i appreciate i appreciate your perspective and you know uh, also the role that you're playing because you're right I think education is such a critical part of this and And, you know, post-secondary is being clearly disrupted and changed. And I should ask, how was your business affected by the, were you guys fully remote before? Like I know on your website, there's some pictures of people sitting around a room and which fails collaborative, but how was that for you guys in terms of impact? Did you have to make a pretty quick, like, oh shit, uh, a pandemic? What? I don't even, I had not planned for that in my disaster recovery plan.
1: Yeah, we were were delivering all of our courses live and in person. And on March 13th, that was a Friday, I had a sore throat. And that was it. It was like, okay, well, I, you know, I, oh, wow. I, I can't go anywhere for two weeks, um, and we need to forge ahead. And you know, I think by the following week we were in a lockdown. And um, and I said to the team, okay, I have a sore throat. Um, starting Monday, we're an online business. So we're not there today, but starting Monday, just
0: everyone here is. That's a Friday to a Monday.
1: That's a significant that's, pivot. That's it. Was like we have to pivot, and and you know we'd always intended to make that transition. Um, it, we were very fortunate that COVID really helped drive adoption. It normalized online delivery in a way that we had been unsuccessful in in kind of getting getting folks to agree to that. So it created a great opportunity at the, like while it cre- while it certainly introduced some challenges, it created an amazing opportunity for us. Uh, and has enabled us to scale and expand, and uh, was always in our on our wish list. And and you know, thanks to COVID, Knockwood, um, you know, it, it allowed us to accelerate those plans
0: congratulations on that. And that sounds like, you know, looking back going, wow, best thing that ever happened to us. And also because you make it the best thing. That's what entrepreneurs do. Things happen, then you make it the best thing that ever happened to you. So kudos to you. And like, again, for being able to do it, like that's, there's no easy feat. Like I have huge respect for being able to pull that off. And, you know, and there is a certain experience that happens when you're in the room, but you're right. The pandemic educated us how to be okay with Zoom. I used yeah. to record all these in person. You and I'd be sitting in an office, having a coffee, chatting, and I loved it because the sound quality was better and it felt like I was like you know having a good. But yet I've been able to interview and meet so many more people. Like I didn't feel isolated through the pod- through the pandemic because I had the podcast. Yeah, and everyone was available. Strangely enough, to go yes, absolutely. When do you want to meet Tuesday morning? Like you know, I think I was, I think I did six episodes in three days once. Like I never did that when it was in person because it just was too much of a production. Yeah. <laughs> so find the, find find the silver lining and embrace it where you can. And I, and again, I don't want. to To sound insensitive, you know the asterisks of a lot of people. I felt very fortunate that in my business. Being knowledge workers, we were able to pivot online. Exactly, and our business got knocked out heavily back in the flood in 2013. So we were out six weeks out of our office. So we had gone and set up all the full remote infrastructure. So uh, we had planned. I think we the 13th to Friday the same. We're like, well, Monday, let's just do a test. Like we're not going to go work from home yet. We're not going to jump there, but let's do a test. By Sunday night at nine o'clock, it was pretty obvious that our test was now work from home, and it was relatively seamless. So looking back, I do feel very fortunate that you know, besides all of the you know the drama that unfolded. Our, you know our team was um, nobody was compromised everyone could literally just start their work the next morning from remote and and then you know our clients and our ability to have people work from any city on any client like it actually allowed us to be a better service provider through through the you know the, this the, the technology we you, you're not using right now
1: i also think you know earlier tyler when you talked about the traits that we look for in um you know in in employees that will or team members that are going to work in tech companies or in or in innovation-driven companies, um, I, I think it's an inc- it's, it's an amazing testament to the three-two-one team that they just took that all in stride. Like this is not the first time they've been through this before, and so you know, pivoting from an online, um, you know, pivoting from a you know an in-person live experience to you know to designing and developing and executing within six months a full digital experience, and they just did it in stride is an incredible testament to their own entrepreneurial skills. So, you know, I'm so grateful to have them with me on this journey. And, but I think that also goes to, you know, when, when we think about helping people pivot into technology, it's not just learning how to do the marketing and the sales and the, and the, you know, the SaaS accounting, it's also helping them to get comfortable with the idea that I made a decision on Friday and it was in play on Monday. And that's, that is not atypical.
0: No, I I love what you said. Like, being entrepreneurial doesn't mean you have to start your own business. It is also an attitude and a way of working and in a fast, rapidly changing world, we're all becoming entrepreneurs whether we kind of like it or not. That resilience, adaptability and you know, those things that whatever career you pick, it's probably going to run out to no fault of your own and you're going to have to pivot and you know, the world we're going into, change is only going to become more prevalent. And you know, we're that entrepreneurial mindset. Well, then any entrepreneur will just be like, well, "Well, welcome to my life." Like they'll just shrug and kind of laugh. Any long-term <laughs> entrepreneur will laugh that off as, "Well, yeah, welcome to welcome to the way it works. (laughs) But you're right. It's not always been that way when, when we aspired to be the, the cog in the bigger machine, but that's the values around that. And the, what gives people purpose is changing, which is going to, it's an interesting road we've got ahead. We're slipping down a very philosophical side of business right now, but (laughs) at the end, it's a bunch of humans having a messy experience.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Which
0: is, makes it, which is kind of the fun of it. So, hey, what's the best way for somebody to, uh, you know, obviously we've kind of put the name out multiple times, but is it visit your website? Is it reach out to you? What's the best way for someone to, one, get in touch with you guys from service, but even talk to you to learn more about what you guys are all about?
1: Absolutely. You know, I, I would invite people to um, definitely check out our website. We're in the midst, speaking of websites, we're, in the, we're just at the, at the early days of doing a bit of a refresh ourselves. But um, definitely, re, you know, uh, have a visit on our website, Follow us on social. I'm pretty easy to reach. I'm a bit of an insomniac, so I'm always on Twitter late at <laughs> night. Um, definitely reach out. We'd love to hear from you if, if you're really passionate about this. If you're keen to get in, if you're keen to get into tech, if you, you know, uh, we we kind of do our best to uh, you know t- to help folks uh, get connected to the people that can that can help them.
0: Well, I do believe, thank you for that. And I do believe that, as I always say, that is one of Calgary's superpowers, the ability to reach out to someone. They will get back to you. And if they can't help you, they'll introduce you to someone that, that can. I've never lived in a city. I live in a small town. And it was like that. But do you think you lose that when you go to the big city? The big city. It's not like such a small town when I say that. <laughs> but Calgary, that is one of our superpowers. People will legitimately give you the time of day. Like If you don't think people will help, that's, that's your story. That's actually not how it works.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a reason that when I... Uh... I, I left my uh my one of my tech jobs to start a company. Uh my partner and I we decided to start it in Calgary, not Toronto.
0: To- Touche. strategic to strategic decisions based on the marketplace no i I hear you Carrie, okay, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. Congratulations on your success and also kudos for you for the work for the for the work you're doing to solve the problem of helping people to make that transition. i think it's 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 huge and we're 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 well into the journey, but there's a lot there's a lot of road ahead of us, and I'm excited about that
1: yeah, me too and and if anybody's interested in in going on that journey with us, you know definitely reach out. We're really passionate about this. We're a very mission driven company and and this is the mark that we want to make in the world. So thanks so much for having us and, and, and uh, you know, giving us the opportunity to, uh, you know, to talk about where we might go.
0: That's awesome. I, I, I see a part two in the future as your business. That's what I love about this. I, everyone I meet, I'm like, well, let's just wait six months and we can just pick up where we left off because there's so much happening in our city. So kudos to you guys for the journey you're on and thanks for coming on today.
1: Thanks so much, Tyler.